Welcome to Talk Innovation, the EPO podcast. I'm Fernando Tiberini, and you are listening to the latest podcast in our Inventors Revisited series. In each episode, we chat to former European Inventor Award alumni, find out about their latest work, and hear their thoughts on innovation trends. We are very fortunate to speak to Helen Lee, winner of the popular prize at the 2016 European Inventor Award. Helen invented the Samba, an easy-to-use medical diagnostic device that can operate in extremely difficult circumstances. Many developing nations use it to detect viruses such as HIV and hepatitis B. More recently, the Samba has been used to detect the novel coronavirus, giving medical professionals a fighting chance in slowing the spread. Helen, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, could you describe Samba 2? How did you get the idea for it? Most diagnostic devices seem to be complicated and required a lot of space. Why had nobody come up with a small, easy-to-use device before? Well, I think many people have come up with the idea of having a small, easy-to-use device before. I think it, uh, the question really is the realization of a particular idea. And so it has been a very long and difficult journey because actually the simpler it is for the user, the more complex it is for the developer. And the Samba uh, machine actually uses a, a nucleic acid amplification test, which is very complicated. So the whole idea is to simplify the chemistry and simplify the reagent and make it heat stable so that it can be used by anybody, anywhere. So how long was the whole process? How long did it take you from, let's say, the beginning of the idea until it was ready? Well, I hate to tell you how long it is. I think it's probably something like 10 years from the wow. beginning to realization, yes. Yeah, so you started with the goal of making a difference. So how difficult is it to follow this path in a tough business world? I think it's difficult to balance doing well with doing good. I think if it's only just to do good, in a business world, in a competitive situation where you have many diagnostic uh, technology and devices, I think it's important to have a, a business strategy that actually allow you to survive. And uh, so for us, it isn't just doing good, but in fact, the motto of our company is uh, uh, balancing doing well with doing good. That's a really good motto, I think. Now let's take a look at some numbers then. So how many countries currently use Samba and how many tests have been performed? We have had uh, four different countries in Africa and uh, in Ukraine, but uh, in, recently we have uh, uh, launched the uh, COVID test in England. And so by now, I think it's probably 200,000 tests by now. The critical feature of your invention is that Samba is a true point-of-care machine. How has this changed the situation with HIV testing in the developing world? Well, in the developing world, uh, probably depending on the country, 60 to 80 percent of the people live in the rural area. And it's really uh, very difficult, if not impossible, for those who live in the depth of rural area to get uh, diagnostic testing. Particularly if you're infected with HIV, it's important to monitor that your treatment is actually effective. And in order to monitor that, you really have to take periodically or uh, routinely blood sample and to make sure that your HIV virus is indeed under control. So this is called viral load monitoring, and that is a lifetime 
necessity to uh, monitor how well you're being treated. You have to use very complex technology, such as uh, what Samba uses, which is really amplifying the, the genetic material of the virus. And that's a very complicated, uh, sophisticated technique. And it usually needs huge centralized machine. And, uh, uh, and so people usually have to go to the, uh, the city to have access to the machine. So what we have done is the other way around. We take the technology and the test to the people. So that is why we invented, uh, and I should say I didn't do that by myself. It is for sure a team effort over the years. And we invented or developed rather this uh, technique the chemistry within a machine that is the size of a coffee machine and it's very robust and it can be easily uh, used by many people without a high uh, level of training. So it is a matter of taking the test to the people in the rural area. Yeah, it also where there's a lot of travel involved, which may be very expensive for the people. Yes, and it's actually quite impossible for many to really, it takes the time and money and the transport to go to the large city to be tested by these sophisticated centralized machines. Now onto patents. So how important was it then and now for you to have granted patents for your inventions? Well, it's important in many ways. A, it's actually interestingly an intellectual exercise uh, to really put uh, in concrete concrete terms what our development, our thought process has been. Secondly, and it is actually both defensive and offensive in the sense that if you don't put patent, you cannot protect your technology, even if you have no intention to license to anybody else. So you must protect your own technology. And the third thing, of course, from a grant uh, we apply for a lot of grant over the years. I think we uh, obtained something like a, a ninety million dollars equity free from uh, different uh, uh, national international organizations. And of course, they always look at what is your intellectual property portfolio. And if we had not developed new technology and patented them, I don't think we would have uh, received or been. Uh, given the grant over the years. So for on many levels, I think patent is truly uh, a not only important, but it's part of the structure of what anyone wants to do if you want to develop your uh, idea into a product and make it available to the market. Now, Samba 2 is now also being used in the UK. You immediately saw its potential to become a reliable test for coronavirus. How difficult was it to widen the scope of testing? Well, interestingly, it's uh, uh, once you have made the basic technology and the machine is there, if you want to apply to a new organism, provided you know the genetic sequence of the organism, you can uh, do the same, you can have take the same approach and make a new test. It, I'm, I don't mean to trivialize it. It's almost like you first have to make the pizza dough, the pizza oven, and then you have different flavors. It's never that easy, but it's much easier than if you had to start off with the pizza dough and the, and the oven. Yeah. I don't 
Does that make sense? <laughs> I think it makes sense. I, I love baking. <laughs> but I'll leave the difficult details of this to you. Now, you're in talks now with the UK government to get Samba 2 into more hospitals. Yes. So what makes it such an important device in the fight against the corona pandemic? And, and how does it differ from current testing protocols? I think the need for diagnostic testing in corona infection is is COVID infection is so great that I think all of us have to work together. So we're really part of the uh, the part, small part of the effort in uh, diagnosing and treating the disease. Uh, and so for for uh, the, the the features of Samba that uh, makes it different from the other tests is that it is what is called the point of care test, which means. First of all, is a true point of care sample in results out. So, and then the result can come out in 90 minutes. Normally, it is uh, this uh, nucleic acid amplification technology actually normally requires huge machinery, centralized testing. So, there is a group of uh, diagnostic um, uh, machines that's called the point of care, and we are one of the point of care machines. And so basically, you take the machine to where it's needed. To give you an idea, when we first tried it, we put it next to an anti-room, next to an emergency room. So we tested the people as uh, it's, it's necessary. And uh, then in, in uh, Edinburgh Hospital in Cambridge, what uh, they decided was to uh, have 20 machines and they didn't have the space. So they seconded a a seminar room. So now it's being tested, the 20 machines in the seminar room. So it doesn't need uh, 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 it doesn't need specialized equipment or environment to have it tested. So it can go to many places. So when do you hope that this will be rolled out in the UK? Well, it's already rolled out. And so far, we've already had 100,000 people tested. Mm -hmm. Now we're into phase two, and we are uh, we have been in 22 hospitals, and we just entered phase two and beginning to implement in over a hundred additional hospitals yeah. in the UK. A question about you: You live a, a very busy life. You're a CEO, a researcher. You deal with the media. What is your secret to balancing all these aspects? Who said that balance them well? <laughs> <laughs> you look very balanced to me. <laughs> I, I think it's that uh, maybe I think one balance things in life by necessity. And I think when it gets too much, I tell myself, breathe is only whatever it is. And uh, I think it's uh, I think learning how to balance different things in one's life is a uh, really a necessity for all of us. Uh, so I don't think I'm uh, better than anyone else in balancing my life. Well, <laughs> good husband. I have a good, tolerant husband who understands what I do. Yeah, I'm sure that's very important. Now, what are your plans for the future? So if, let's say you would join us in a year or two years' time, what developments would you hope to share with us? Well, I think we have, a, I think, a simple, robust base technology. And so I would like to expand it to more diseases, particularly diseases in for uh, for developing world in hard to reach areas and uh, to me uh, 
many years ago, I had a boss who was really one of the best boss I had, uh, Dr. Rosemary Biggs, and she always told me, in all things you do, just try to be useful. Somehow, I never really forgot that. So ever since then, I think to me, the most important thing is to be useful. And I hope in a year or two, I will continue to be useful. Thank you, Helen. Now, we will take some questions from the audience now. Thank you, everyone, for addressing them. We have a question from Marina talking about the test. How affordable is this test? I wish it were more affordable. Uh, it is affordable enough to be implemented in the developing countries. And of course, it, as you I'm sure know, usually tests and drugs are really provided by international organizations such as the Global Fund and uh, uh, the Gates Foundation. So uh, it certainly isn't, uh, uh, it is available, let me put it that way, to developing world. Thank you. We have a question from Mirela. What do you think can be done to encourage more women to go into careers in the sciences? I think it's a very important and a timely question. Um, I think several things. First of all, I think you have to choose your husband wisely. You cannot have a good career if your husband is uh, overly demanding and doesn't really respect what it is that you try to do. And the second thing actually is finding the right uh, context where you can grow, because it is it is true that the women do have childbearing uh, eight, uh, years, and it is it is important to balance the home with work, and that takes flexibility at work, and it is not every organization, although there are more and more that do that, that will really give you the flexibility, and and so I think it's really choosing the right context so that you can uh, be both uh, satisfied at home uh, and satisfied at work and grow in both places. It's not easy, but it is truly worthwhile. Some of uh, the, I have a fantastic team and two of the most critical people are women and they have been able, not without difficulty or struggle, balance home with work and they have made tremendous differences in our uh, company and not just in the company, but actually in developing the technology and making ourselves useful to the greater society. So I would right. encourage women to really go for it. Great. Thank you for that, Helen. We have a third question from Kata. How do doctors or researchers who work against lack of resources or in areas hard hit by disease or in disaster areas stay positive? What makes them face these challenges day after day? What is your experience? I'm sure there are days they uh, are discouraged because it's never really easy. In fact, it's normal life already as difficult some days, but to work in those situations is even more challenging. And I think it takes someone who has the ability to not bounce back is not the word because we, it is really to try, who loves climbing mountains, let me put it that way. You have to really want climbing mountains to be able to do something like that. 
and and to be centered in the sense of always knowing what you do, however little that you do, is useful to someone that makes a difference to someone. And I think that probably that sense of accomplishment under great challenge and difficulties is what I think keep people going. That doesn't mean there are not moments where you say, this is not possible, I cannot do it. And uh, But still, uh, I, I personally have found it worthwhile. I've not always had successes and have lots of had, had lots of failures, but somehow the, the fact that you can be more useful, you can continue to be useful, you can still make a small difference, does keep one going. Great, very encouraging words, because it really seems like something that is full of challenges and obstacles all the time. And here's, that leads into the next question from Alexandra. What challenges have you faced in your career as an inventor, and how did you overcome them? I think the hardest for me was when uh, when we try so hard and we still failed, I think it was a, it's the it's the, the repeated failure. In fact, people think invention inventing is such a uh, wonderful journey. Yes, it is at the end of the journey, but along the journey, it's really very difficult. And so, I think when I get too low or when I get when life gets too too difficult. Uh, Actually, I remember my, my, I have, I told you already about my fantastic uh, boss, uh, but uh, my mother was a great role model. And I think I think of how other people have had even harder life than I have had, and yet they conquered it and uh, uh, made a difference. Then I think you get up and it's not quite like that. It's not so trite like that, but um. I'm showing I'm showing my age, but if you uh, look at the gun with the wind with the Scarlett O'Hara, she'll say tomorrow is another day. So always there's another day. I once saw a quote by a scientist that the secret to uh, success in science is to jump from failure to failure with undiminished enthusiasm. So it reminds me a bit of the arts, which is very similar, where people in general just see the result and think, oh, great book, great movie but how much failure is behind that? And so I think science is very similar to this, that we just see the result, great invention, and then, oh, what's next? So thank you for elucidating that process for us. Whatever journey one takes, I think the ability to deal with failure is at the heart of it all, because you will have failures over and over again. And it is the ability to deal with the failure that I think distinguishes people who eventually make it to those who don't. I mean, not in such great uh, glory, but make it to the goal. Yeah. Now we have two more questions, which I can, we can kind of combine. We have Maritina asking, what is your vision for the future as a scientist? And Sean, what other diseases do you hope to test for in the future? If they're really separate, you can answer them separately, but maybe they go together. Well, I, I think I would like to, for instance, uh, I, I would like to make diagnostics so much closer to, to people, much easier, cheaper, and uh, uh, much more available to people, particularly those who are more unfortunate than we are with uh, poor infrastructure, with uh, uh, low, uh, with uh, where there's 
the poverty. And so that to me is really where we would like to go. Uh, this um, It's a journey. Sometimes you can decide what you want to do, but the life has a funny way of showing you the way and the need comes up and then you say, ah, oh, I can make that happen here. And so it takes you to a little bit of a side road, but you still keep on your main journey. So I think um, the opportunities often come to you. Thank you very much, Helen Lee. I think there's a very good closing words from you. Thank you very much for joining us. It was a real pleasure to talk to you. Well, thank you for the questions. I, I was, I can't help but notice most of the names are women. <laughs> I noticed that too. Yes, yes. Yeah, thank you everyone for asking the questions. It's made this talk really live and interesting. And it was great to get these insights from Helen Lee. Thank you for listening to Inventors Revisited on Talk Innovation, the EPO podcast. In this podcast series, we discuss inventions, IP, and current innovation trends with former European Inventor Award winners and finalists. You can stream or download the Talk Innovation podcasts from epo.org or listen via anchor.fm, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. I hope you will join us again for an upcoming episode. <laughs>